Okay, the Bible reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 20. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else, who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say, Amen, to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in, all the, in, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Thank you, Juliet. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all. Who's been on the uh, Matilda's bandwagon this week? Hands up. Um, look, I, and if you, if you haven't been, are you Australian? Um, <laughs> So like so many Aussies, I've been on what's been an emotional roller coaster. yes, uh, and uh, the highs and lows. I now know every woman in the Australian uh, women's soccer team, uh, and it's, it's interesting, isn't it, how few things these days capture the heart of a whole nation. When I was growing up, there was lots of things that would kind of unite us as a nation, uh, but the Matildas have done that for us, haven't they? Kind of captured us, uh, and uh, they did so well. Uh, such a, someone was saying on the way in, they played with such joy and such a sense of teamwork uh, and unity. Now, I remember my son 
Micah playing under six soccer. So there he is. Uh, and uh, you might notice a few others from church uh, on there, you know, a bit of a uh, young Edwards and a Ben Laidlaw and Jordan Lace. And anyway, anyway, so that's the Kalani Vale soccer team, under six, I think it was. It was a completely different game to what I saw the Matildas play uh, in the last couple of weeks. Basically, in under six soccer, what happens is the ball goes to a certain place and the whole, everyone on the, on the field runs towards the ball and there's just a ruck, like a riot, until one individual bursts forth with the ball and if they're fast enough, they'll just skirt around and they'll, they'll weave around and the whole rest of the pack follows them and if they're quick enough and strong enough, they'll just score a goal uh, and that's how goals are scored in under six soccer. So they don't, it's, it's very fun, very cute, uh, and, uh, but they don't, they don't know how to use space yet so they're learning skills, but they don't know how to trust each other as a team. They're probably quite right in that, not trusting each other, because they're, they're still very much developing skills, but a lot of fun, very cute. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, we love it all, right? But it's a very different game to what the Matildas were playing. Um, and look, and every now and then, you've got to face it, every now and then your son would come home having scored four goals, and you just think, oh, wow, how, he is going to be a superstar, uh, this boy. But the only way these boys, these young kids, the only way they're going to develop to become great players is if they learn to use space, if they learn to play as a team, if they learn to depend on each other. That's the critical step of moving from you know, a skills-based individual attitude to soccer and a, and a team sport that we've seen the Matildas uh, demonstrate so well. And it strikes me the Corinthian church... For them, it was very much like they were playing under six soccer. Right? Uh, it was very much an individual sport that they were playing when they came to church. So this is why Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Right? You need to grow up. Stop thinking like children. In regards to evil be infants, right? you want to be naive about evil, but in your thinking, be adults. Grow up. Now, the church in Corinth strikes me as vibrant but chaotic. Right? Church life was chaotic in Corinth. Not, not, but, but chaotic, there's a vibrancy to it. Uh, the Apostle Paul loves them, but what he wants them to do is to grow up in the way that they're using the gifts, the many gifts uh, that God has poured out on, on them. And so Paul wants to keep before them the goal, and the goal is... Building the church in love. Can you see that? I themed everything as a Matilda's theme today. I was hoping that we'd be heading towards a final uh, tonight as I wrote this sermon. Uh, but, you know, can you see the green and gold theme that's coming out? And, you know, the goal. Anyway, there you go. Uh, so the goal of church as we come together is building the church in love. Right? That's, that's the goal we're working towards. And 1 Corinthians 11 to 14, those three key words, building, church, and love, those three words appear with a regularity that is unmatched in any other part of the Bible. Building, the church, and love, those three words are very critical. So to start off with the word love, and wasn't it beautiful last week hearing our brother Darren uh, speaking of this passage, 1 Corinthians 13? Uh, I had a wedding uh, the day before with... Uh, uh, Aaron and Sarah Peterson, and uh, 
and we looked at this passage as well. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. Love is patient. You know, you know the passage, don't you? Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. Love never fails. It is just the most beautiful, heartwarming passage. All about, and it's, and it's directed towards us as the church, that we need to capture love as the greatest thing. And all of our gifts are only useful to build up as we use them in love, in an other person-centred attitude. Second word, second key word is church, and it comes up nine times in chapter 14. The third key word is build, which actually comes up six times in chapter 14, but sometimes it's a little bit hidden because the word edify is exactly the same word, and the word strengthen in chapter 14 is the same word as well, but it's this word build. It's a very kind of physical, muscular, sort of hard work type of word, build. So verse 26 says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Can you see that goal there? Um, and, And building up is not just about us as a body becoming stronger, but it's about people coming in and coming to know the Lord Jesus. So we grow, we grow out, we build people into our church, and we build up in unity, in strength, in maturity. Not individuals running around for individual glory, but a body that's working together, bringing out the best in one another. Uh, and so, as I said earlier, the church in Corinth was vibrant, but chaotic. Everyone had something to say. Everyone had uh, kind of a gift that they felt like God had given them. But it feels like their gatherings had a lot, of, uh, a lot of noise, but not a lot of clarity. And so people would go home not feeling like they'd been spiritually built up. And he wants them to grow up, to stop doing church like an under-six soccer team, to start doing church like a mature team. So they need to learn these two lessons, right? And this is... Um, so let's show us the next... There is no I in team, right? See, see how that works? Team, right? There's no I in team. Uh, it's, it's about the team. It's not about me. And so that's the second jersey. It's not about me. It's about us. Uh, and they're, they're just a couple of slogans that Paul is wanting to kind of to, to take heart in the Corinthian believers. It's one of the things that's worried me over the last couple of months, actually. I don't know if you've felt this as well, but all the media coverage has been about Sam Kerr. Have you noticed this? I felt like, man, it's a lot of pressure on Sam Kerr, but it's a, it's a misunderstanding of the game. Like, I'm not big into soccer, but I know that soccer's a team sport, and you can't just have one person. That's, it, you've got to have a whole team working together if you want to succeed. Uh, I'm going to give you an example from the world of basketball. This, is my, this was my sport uh, growing up, and this is the sport that I eventually passed on to my kids. My daughter uh, captured uh, uh, basketball. But this guy is the greatest basketballer in the world at the moment, in my opinion. Uh, does anyone know his name? Nikola Djokic, right? Nikola Djokic. Uh, best player in the world, in my opinion, right? 
He led his team to win the NBA this year, the National Basketball Association of America, most valuable player in the finals. And what I love about him is how unspectacular he is. Uh, it's, it's a funny thing to say, isn't it? But, but a lot of the players, right, they'll come up and do a dunk, and it's a big power move. You know, sometimes they'll go between there, like, and then they come up and whack, and then they strut their chest, and yeah, yeah, and they say to the crowd, come on, crowd, and they spend about 30 seconds down the end pumping up the crowd, and, and meanwhile, the ball's, you know, heading down the other end. Nikola Jokic, when he does a dunk, right, he's seven foot three, so it's not too hard for him, right, just go boom, pops it in, and then gets back into defence, right? Just efficiency, because he's playing the team game, and he just gets the job done. So there's none of this kind of, you know, slapping your chest, you know, having a go at the other players. Um, during the finals, here, really interesting statistic. So you get to enter the world of basketball uh, this morning. Uh, during the finals, three games where he scored the most, he scored 40 or more points in three games... That's a lot of points, right? That's half the team points. His team lost each of those three games. He scored 53 points one game. His team lost. Uh, the team was most successful when their leader was passing the ball off to others. Uh, they call them assists, but just passing the ball off, setting screens, getting back to do the rebounds. That's when the team was most successful when their leader was playing the team game and bringing out the best in the others. And God wants us to know this is what successful church looks like. Uh, it's where every member, each one of us, is looking out for one another. Where every member has the attitude, it's not about me, show us those jerseys again, it's not about me, it's about us. Uh, and if we're going to capture that, we've got to cut against the culture of our society that's so much about individual expression, isn't it? But in church, as God's people, in God's community, it's not about me, it's about us. Now, have you worked that out for yourself? Have you worked it out? Because our world keeps telling you it's all about you. And that's because they want to sell something to you. But they will tell you, you are the most important person in the world. Do what you want to do. It's all about you. But have you worked out that in God's community, it's not all about you? And I want to ask, you come to church with a mindset, how can I hit that goal? How can I build this church in love? I want you to know it's, it's not a passive thing, is it? So it's not, coming, it's not saying come and be a spectator in love. Come and... Uh, come and passively watch in love. It's saying come and build in love. It's a physical, hard-working type of metaphor that Paul's deliberately using. If you're a follower of Jesus, you come to church ready to work, uh, intentional, persistent, here, here again and again, not, not a passenger or a kind of spectator. Uh, that's not our role. And so even though we come here and we, you know, we sit and we listen to me, we, thank you for listening, but we come with the goal of building the church in love. That's the goal. So come on to the second point, which is the main topic of chapter 14, and that is prophecy is better than tongues. And that is a greater than mathematical sign, right? So prophecy is greater than tongues. 
Um, Chapter 14, verse 1. Have your Bible open. Have a look there. Chapter 14, verse 1. Thank you, Rhonda. That's a nice word. Um, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Especially prophecy. Chapter 14, verse 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue... Well, they edify themselves, they build themselves, but the one who prophesies builds the church. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more, I'd love every one of you to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified, built up, right? The one who speaks in tongue, uh, prophecies, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Now, I imagine as you read that and as you wrestle with this during the week, lots of questions come to your mind. Firstly, what is tongues? What are we talking about here? Well, tongues simply means languages, right? So you could actually swap the word out and it'd mean exactly the same thing. Uh, so we use that term in the same way today. So I talk about English as being my native tongue or my mother tongue. You know, you know the idea? And so we're just meaning it's my native language. Uh, and tongues or languages were a, a, a major feature of the first gathering of the church in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost. Remember, Peter stood up and preached. Uh, and there were the disciples. But among them were all these people that had come on pilgrimage from all over the Roman Empire for the day of Pentecost. They were Jewish, a lot of them, or God-fearing Greeks, but they had other mother tongues from other parts of the Roman Empire. And as they came to this gathering, the disciples spoke in other languages miraculously. God gave them the gift of speaking the good news of Jesus in the languages that were the mother tongues of the people that had gathered on that day. Uh, And can you see how valuable that was for the spread of the gospel Uh, because language is such a barrier but all of a sudden these these tongues are given so that I can now cross a culture, cross a language barrier. It would be like me standing up and speaking Mandarin Chinese and you all just going, wow. Uh, You couldn't understand what I was saying but the Mandarin Chinese could understand, and it would be a powerful thing, wouldn't it? Now, wonderfully, we have that blessing here at our church. So every single Sunday, Susie and her team of interpreters here at the 1030 congregation, so the next congregation, they do live translation every week into Mandarin Chinese. And people come along, they have their little ear thing, they listen in, uh, and, and what it does is it multiplies the impact of God's word going out, uh, building up more people. That's the goal. But you get the feeling that what was happening in Corinth might have been different to that. Uh, What was happening in Corinth uh, was it seems like people were speaking in languages that no one else understood and probably even the person speaking it didn't understand either. Um, And Paul's point is pretty clear how can that activity achieve the goal? Right? If the goal is building the church up in love, you need intelligible words that can be understood. 
Uh, so how is it loving to another person if they're hearing stuff spoken but they can't understand, they can't be encouraged and strengthened and built up? And so Paul says, if, you, if you're going to have any tongues speaking, any other languages, there must be an interpreter. Uh, so that everyone can hear and understand and be encouraged. I remember when I was growing up, my youth leaders um, were very excited to take us to these Christian rallies in, um, in Canberra. So we were in Queanbeyan, I lived in Yass as well. And they'd take us to these big youth kind of Christian gatherings <clears throat> and we'd sing lots of um, you know, songs. You know, I'd go home and I'd burn a couple of my Christian albums and uh, that sort of thing at the end of it. Um, but anyway, that's another story you can ask me about. But, um, but also what would happen is lots and lots of songs, 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 songs. And then, and then during the gathering, people would start speaking in tongues and, and, or, or that's what was you know, being said was happening. And, and so uh, there was just these, these breakouts of people speaking in, some, in language that I could not understand, no one could really understand... Um, and yeah, and I, I kind of got caught up in that myself for a time, but um, it's interesting, I'd, I'd go along to those things and we'd be encouraged to speak in tongues, but I'd come away feeling unspiritual and feeling like I, I really don't know exactly what's going on here. There was never any interpreter um, and yet we were all encouraged to take part. Um, now, can you see what Paul's saying here? In the gathering of God's people, if there is no interpreter, then you don't do it. Because how can that activity build the people of God in love unless there is intelligible words? So unless there's someone who can interpret what is being said. Um, and so for Paul, that's why prophecy is more beneficial than tongues. But what's the next question we have? <clears throat> what is prophecy? And that's a huge question. So we often think about prophecy as foretelling the future. Um, and so, you know, like predicting the future. And throughout the Bible, that certainly is something that a lot of prophets do. They, they speak authoritatively on behalf of God about things that are going to take place in the future. And you know a prophet is true or not, because if it comes to pass, oh, that gives a bit of credibility. Um, and it could be that this was, you know, key to the focus of the Corinthians, uh, this sort of predictive element. But throughout the Bible, a lot of prophecy has more of the character of taking what God has already revealed in his word and applying it to a new situation. So often in the Old Testament, what the prophets were doing was that they were taking what God had already revealed in his promises and in his law and applying it to a current situation or taking what God had already revealed and giving warning and encouragement about the future. If we continue down this track, this is what the future will look like. But if we change our ways, this is what the future will look like. But very much drawing on what God had already revealed. Now, I want to give you a definition that I think fits with chapter 14 and the way Paul's thinking about prophecy. And so here it is. Prophecy is applying God's word into the lives of one another. Or maybe even prophecy is bringing God's word to bear into the lives of one another and the church. 
So bringing God's word to bear on one another's lives and on our life as a church. And the goal, the goal is the same goal. It's about building the church in love. So verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening. That's the building word. Their strengthening, their encouraging and their comfort. Or verse 26, what shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn. A word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. I think Paul's got quite a broad think about prophecy, which includes things like a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation. Uh, There's a whole lot of spoken words where we're pressing God's word into the lives of one another. Now, I want you to notice that when we gather, we all have a a part to play. We all have a part to play. And then we try to foster this by singing together. How great was 1098, God is great. I love that song, right? And it was so great, us you know, as adults getting into it, the kids getting into it. Uh, and God is great. So how encouraging to sing those words and remind each other and pass them on to the next generation. Uh, that's what we're doing when we sing. We're, we're hearing truths about God reminding us, pointing each other to the promises of God so encouraging and thank you musos uh, and you guys up the back you know for yeah thank, yeah give it up for the musos um and uh it's so encouraging to uh build us up and help us to remember the truths of god's word it's great to hear stories uh from one another isn't it here in church of what god is doing in our lives and each week we encourage you to stick around because what we love to see is for us to, to, to be wrestling with what we've heard and to be bringing it to bear on the lives of one another and to be asking questions of one another. And I love it when I go out there and people come and ask me questions. It's just fantastic. Right? Don't, don't harangue me, but you know, I, I love it when people ask questions and there's a depth of wrestling with God's word. I, or I love it when I go out and I see people praying for one another. You know, And there's life struggles and so on and we, and we bring wisdom and love and compassion to one another. Uh, Those things are great. And I I, I want you to notice that in the pattern of our church, growth groups play a key part as well. Because what we do in growth groups is we all have the opportunity to share our thoughts, to share our concerns, to ask our questions, and to share wisdom and insight uh, from God. Uh, And it's very encouraging for, for all of us. We pray for one another uh, so make the most of it, make the most of these things for you, but remember it's not just about you, make the most of it for your task that God has given you to build one another up. So be here, be at your growth group, play your part in those things. Which brings me to the final point, and that is love expresses itself in self-restraint. Now, I want you to have a look at this guy. Uh, next slide. Have a look at this guy. Anyone know his name? I didn't until this week, but I learned a lot about this guy this week. I, I, I research for you people. Right? So this guy's named John Farnsworth. He has incredible skills with a soccer ball. Um, he juggled a soccer ball across the Sahara Desert. How useful is that? Um, <laughs> He juggled a soccer ball up Mount Everest. 
Uh, there you go. Great skills. Um, I don't know how exactly how <laughs> some of you are looking, thinking, how do you do that? But anyway, that's apparently what he did, right? Now, would you want this guy on your soccer team? Now, the Lake soccer team are willing to take anyone, right? <laughs> Normally short on numbers, but no, no let's just, would you want this guy on your soccer team? Some of you not. Some, well, here's the thing. Only, only if he could make the transition from individual to team. Right? That's the only way he would be useful in a soccer team, isn't it? Uh, if he came on and every time he got the ball, you know, it just started juggling or he just started wandering off and, and, and you know, cheering, to, going to the crowd, hey, look at me, how clever am I? You'd really, you'd get annoyed uh, and it would be no use to the team at all, would it? Um, but if he was willing to put aside his need for personal praise and his love of juggling a ball and just do what's useful, then he could be really useful, couldn't he? Because he's obviously got skills and if he could convert those skills to a team focus, then what a blessing he could be. Now, it's the same in church. Building each other up in love requires self-restraint. Now... I know that we have a really difficult verse coming down the line in this chapter. Verse 34. And and I just want to acknowledge it is is a clangor verse in our society. It's always been there for the last 2,000 years, but it it feels like in our modern context, it's just hard to hear. It says, women should remain silent in the churches. And you just hear that and you go, and, and I, you know, it kind of brings a dread to having to have, preach this passage. But we trust God is good and we trust his word. And we'll get to this. Ver- let, let me just show you, I've been reading um, a book by Claire Smith and she deals with this passage. And look at what she says. She says, wow, I don't know about you, but as a new Christian, the first time I heard this passage, I could not believe my ears. And to be honest, I'm not sure it was only the first time. Each time she heard it, wow. I think my reaction represents the first major difficulty. There are lots of difficulties with this verse. But the first is, we hit when we come to this passage, for most of us, if not all of us, is a severe cultural knee-jerk. It is just so foreign to the values of our society. And it is just really hard to hear. Now... I, we, are, we will come back to that verse. I want to endorse that book to you by Claire Smith. It's a very, very helpful book. We'll come back to that verse. I'm not kind of avoiding it. But I want you to notice there are three groups of people in this passage that are commanded to show self-restraint. So um, three groups. First, those who speak in tongues are asked to be quiet. So uh, this is verse 26. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up, right? That's the principle. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, right? So there's, there's, there's kind of restraint going on even there, one at a time. And someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Can you see what's going on? Even if someone feels supernaturally empowered by God to speak in tongues, the instruction is if there's no interpreter, that person should remain silent. 
Because the goal is not individual expression. The goal is building the church in love. Secondly, prophets are commanded to show self-restraint. Verse 29, two or three prophets, right? So it's not everyone. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. If a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop or should keep quiet, exactly the same word. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. That is, even if someone feels like they have something urgent and important that God has placed on their heart, because of love, they're called to show self-restraint. Because it's not about them, it's about what's going to build the church. And so even if this feels like a supernatural word from God, there's, there's the opportunity just to show self-control, self-restraint uh, and hold back. Thirdly, verse 34, this same principle applies to women. Women should keep quiet in the churches. They're not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. Now we still, it's, we still got to ask the question, what is going on here? If you lifted that verse out of the whole letter and took it on its own, it sounds like it is a blanket prohibition on women speaking in church at all. Now, I want to say it is not that. That's not what Paul is saying. Um, And look, we could take a lot of time on this verse alone, but I don't want to distract... Like, it's a big chapter and lots of stuff, and it's a very helpful chapter. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through some of the conclusions that I've I've drawn and, and, and point you to how I came to these conclusions. But then if you want to pick it up a little bit more with me, you know, come and talk to me later or grab Claire Smith's book uh, and do some more reading on it. But here are some conclusions. Firstly, men and women in church are both encouraged, so both men and women alike, encouraged to speak words to build one another up. Now, remember three weeks ago, so this same letter. So we, we, we read this letter of Paul over a number of months and weeks they would have read it as a single letter. Uh, And in chapter 11, Paul made it very clear that in church, both men and women are engaged in prayer and prophecy. Uh, So that's really clear in chapter 11. And so when we come through to chapter 14, there's, there's something different going on than a blanket prohibition of women speaking. So women are speaking words and encouraging uh, prophecy, prayer, men and women alike are engaged in that. Here in this passage in chapter 14, men and women alike are encouraged to weigh what is being said. And that is we're encouraged men and women to learn uh, and to thoughtfully hear God's word. Uh, and we, this is why we encourage everyone to be part of a growth group where we can talk together, wrestle with a passage and so on. And here in church, as time allows, we have question time. And we open up question time for men and women to ask genuine questions uh, where the speaker can uh, give their wisdom and insight from God's word uh, on it. But uh, that's, that's uh, our pattern in church. Thirdly, God has made men and women equal but different. And so in chapter 11, the Apostle Paul took us back to Genesis 1 and 2 
and the and, and ordering of relationship, equal but different. And I think that's what's on view in chapter 14 when Paul references the law. He's going back to what he's already said in chapter 11. Fourthly, in marriage, the husband leads in sacrificial love and the wife entrusts herself into his loving leadership. Not because he's better than her, right? Husband and wife equally precious in God's sight, equally valued. But it's just that in marriage, God has established a pattern of teamwork where the husband lovingly, sacrificially leads. Fifthly, that ordering of marriage shapes how we relate in church. And so you see it in 1 Corinthians 11, in 1 Corinthians 14, or 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because the church is the household of God, we are family, the ordering that you see in family relationships spills over into our church relationships. And so, point six, my final point, a few leadership activities in church should be done by godly, trustworthy, appointed, recognised men. So in this passage, it is the weighing of prophecy. Now, I've already said that everyone was to weigh prophecy, so everyone was to wrestle with God's word, and that's the same today. But one or more godly, trustworthy men are given the responsibility to make sure what's said in church aligns with what God has said. Right? So because just, someone, just because someone speaks a word of prophecy or a word from God, we need to actually weigh it up and make sure that, it is in lo- that it's not false teaching, that it's not going to lead us astray. Uh, now, I know much more could be said... And, the, and you still may have lots of questions. So there's a little bit of a synthesis of some of my thinking and reflection. I want to recommend that book by Claire Smith, or please come and talk to me. But let me give you a real-life example uh, of this playing out in action uh, on the mission field. I read it in... Uh, I'm, I'm part of a little um, prayer group with Janelle and Norm Gorry uh, online... Uh, And these are things that Janelle shared, and she's happy for me to share it with you. But this is a few months ago. So there they are. They're in northern Kenya uh, in a kind of uh, a a rugged rugged location. They've been feeling the effects of famine, the the increase of Islam, you know, pushing down south in Africa. Um, And they are there strengthening the church uh, in northern Kenya, in Marzabit. I'm pretty sure they would describe their church as vibrant but chaotic, like church in Corinth. Now, a few months ago, a visiting preacher came to their church and Janelle just bared her heart on the experience. So let me just talk it through with you. She talks about this teacher, this prophet who came. He had a long prophecy about me. So church had been going on for hours and she, she went to leave and he kind of called her back. He said a long prophecy, he had a long prophecy about me being close to death, but he prayed for me that I would not die. Some people were crying. He hit me on the head. I placed my hand on my head and he hit me again. He forced me to look into his eyes. He had never met me. He did not know my name and he implied I needed to be saved. I was asking, I was asked nothing. Right? So this is a woman who has been a Christian for decades, 
uh, and out of her love for God, she's gone over to actually strengthen the church in Kenya. But here's this prophet who's coming into the church, implying that Janelle needed to be saved. And, and anyway, so, um, let me continue. He read nothing from the Bible. I was given no verses to read, no elder to go to, no follow-up phone call, and no one has asked me since about it. I feel manipulated by his presumed authority like a 10-year-old girl. And it worries me how easily others could and are manipulated if I can be. I was angry that not one pastor or lay leader stood to challenge him. There were at least three theologically trained people there apart from myself. Can you notice what she's doing? So you could just blame the, the false teacher who's come amongst them or, or the, the abusive prophet, but she's saying the leadership of her church failed to step up at this point and to kind of to weigh in, in some sort of authoritative way what was taking place. Now, Janelle's husband, Norm, was not at church that day, but since that day, he took it up with the elders of the church uh, and he also addressed the whole church on this matter. But it's something that has been, uh, he's been concerned about for a long time and talking to the church about it for a long time. He fears that many churches in Kenya are vulnerable to this sort of spiritual abuse where the leaders need to step up and take responsibility for protecting God's people from being led astray and for constantly pointing God's people to God's word as the foundation and the gospel of Jesus. So Norman Janelle, they describe a church that is still struggling with immaturity, where some of what takes place fails the goal of building the church in love. And so they ask us, uh, the, the, pray for our young church, tossed and titillated by false teaching. Continue with us as we wind up our ministry here. Uh, so they, they really... They're, they're, so Janelle has now returned home. Uh, Norm will return home soon. But they leave with this anxious heart that they just know how vulnerable uh, the churches are there. And we'll pray about that in just a moment. But that's Kenya. What about our church here, uh, the lakes? Now, I want to take you back to the juggling soccer player. Uh, if you can come back with, uh, to him. What's his name? Johnny Farnsworth. The last thing you want on your soccer team is a guy who comes on and just wants to show off his skills and doesn't have that team attitude. Or take Mackenzie Arnold, right, our new national hero. Um, absolute legend. She could do anything, but she's the goalie, right? And you, what you don't want is you don't want the goalie running forward and deciding to, this week, I'm going to score a goal. And you go, because the, the vulnerability, that, that leaves your goal wide open. And the, goal, the, the, the aim of soccer is to score more goals than the opposition. So she may well score a goal, but you're leaking goals up the other end. Uh, maturity in church life is about teamwork. <clears throat> but we live in a society obsessed with individualism. Right? And you've got to feel this. This is the case. The slogans of our society are, do what you want to do, be what you want to be. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think that was a car ad or something initially, but it just taps into the, the, the attitude of our society. Or to quote the words of Elsa, 
no right, no wrong, no rules for me. This is also from Frozen, the movie, right? If you, if you don't know, you are way out of touch, right? <clears throat> no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. So freedom is lack of restraint. Freedom is, is being completely unrestrained. I'll do whatever I want to do. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go, turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. All right, okay. And so it's kind of like, who cares what other people think? I'm just, I'm just going to let it go. Let it go. I don't care what they're going to say. Um, now, here's the thing. You were created by God for community. You were created by God. You have been saved by Jesus to be part of a community. That, that is at the heart of your identity. Maturity in God's family is not about individual expression. Right? God wants you to be yourself, but taking on love as your, as your mode of operating. Um, bringing ourselves under God's word. It's about teamwork and self-restraint, but above all, it's about love. And just because I have a gift doesn't mean I have to use it every time. So the key question is, what is helpful? What is needed? What is best going to build this church, this group of people, in love as God's people, God's family? Teamwork is all about being committed to the success of the team, no matter what part you play, as we speak God's word into the lives of one another. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. And will you pray with me? <clears throat> God, our Father, we do pray that you will build your church here in this place. We thank you that we've seen it over the last 20 years. In fact, we've seen it over the last 2,000 years. Jesus' determination to build his church, and he is doing it. But Father, we know that Jesus wants us to grow up, uh, to become mature, to become committed to, to his building project. So Father, we do pray that you will keep gathering people from our region to know Jesus to come and be part of this church. We pray that you'll keep strengthening us and grow us up so that we work as a team, so that we love one another deeply. Please give us those hearts of love. Forgive us when we go it alone, when we become self-centered and self-focused. We pray that you'll keep turning our hearts towards you and towards one another. Father, we want to pray for the church in Kenya. We just feel the anxiety of Norman Janelle, the vulnerability to false teaching. We do pray that you'll strengthen the leaders there in that place to have clarity and confidence to stand and protect and lead your people. So we pray that those churches will thrive uh, and grow into maturity. But Father, we pray for the same for ourselves. And we feel uh, the impact of individualism in our society where everyone just throws off restraint and people ignore your word and go their own way. But Father, you've called us to be your people, 
to come under the sound of your word, uh, to live lives of selfless love. And we pray that you will generate that in us by your spirit to your glory. Amen.